I have three words that I want to share with you this morning. Not that I'm just going to say three words. You couldn't be that lucky. (laughs) The three words are separation, reconciliation, and unification. As we're working our way through the book of Ephesians, we're in chapter 2, and my text this morning is verses 11 through 22. So let's read that. Therefore, remember... That at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself One new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built up together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Last week, we looked at Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Such a beautiful passage about salvation for all. Today, Paul focuses in on salvation for the Gentiles. So our first word that we're looking at is separation. Separation, what the Gentiles were. And verses 11 and 12 Covers this. So if you have your Bible app and you want to look at it, because I'm going to be looking right at the text and talking about it or the Bible in front of you, you're welcome to do that. There are two distinct groups in the world, Jews and Gentiles. Just understanding that little fact can help you understand the Bible much better. And sometimes the Bible uses distinguishing terms, the circumcision and uncircumcision. Now, kids sometimes mix those words up. Uh, Perhaps you've heard of the explorer Francis Drake. One, One child on his paper wrote about him sailing around the world and making discoveries. He said, Sir Francis Drake circumcised the world with a hundred foot clipper. God told Abraham to circumcise himself, Ishmael. And his servants in Genesis 17, 10, 
God says, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So why did God ask that of Abraham? Hygiene, certainly one reason, but mostly it was uniqueness. There were no people in the ancient world who did that for religious reasons. It became the sign of the covenant between God and the Jews. They made an agreement, an arrangement together that the Jews would circumcise their boys on the eighth day, thus making a commitment to God that they promised to be devoted exclusively to God in both both physically and spiritually. And then God's promise to them was, I will be your God. Deuteronomy 30, verse six says, and the Lord, your God, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will live, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. I love that. It's a beautiful passage in the Old Testament showing the spiritual significance of circumcision. So we come into the New Testament times and it's not physical at all. It's a spiritual circumcision in two places. It says Romans two. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Colossians 2.11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now picture yourself traveling to a foreign land. If you've ever been to another country, it just feels different. You don't know the customs, the culture. You feel maybe out of place, like people are looking at you. That, that was the feeling that Gentiles had toward Jews, or rather Jews toward Gentiles. There was a huge division between these two groups. Gentiles were despised by Jews. They called them dogs. If a Jew married a Gentile, they held his funeral. He no longer existed. They couldn't go into a Gentile home and have dinner. They walked around Samaria on their way to Galilee because people who were half Jewish and half Gentile lived there. They prayed a daily prayer. The men did. that said, thank you, God, for not making me a Gentile or a woman. They believed that Gentiles were created by God. Merely to fuel the fires of hell. So as a Christian, Peter struggled with this kind of thinking. It was just always in the, the back of his mind. It took a vision for him to break out of that and take the gospel to the Gentiles. Although in Galatia, he struggled with that on one occasion and wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. And Paul had to come and rebuke him and correct him. So Paul is writing to Ephesian Christians who were mostly Gentiles. And remember, the worship of that town was the goddess Diana. Very powerful spiritual demonic forces were in that city. The, the worship of that involved temple prostitution. So in verse 12, Paul sums up how lost the Ephesian Christians once were before they were in Christ. He says, you were separated from Christ Christ being the word for Messiah. You had no Messiah. You had no Savior. 
you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, you weren't Jews. You weren't God's people. You were strangers to the covenants. The covenants of promise, how God promised to bless those recipients of the covenants. Paul is saying you were once outside of those blessings and promises. You were without hope and without God in the world. That that's as bleak and hopeless as it can ever be. And that was our state, too, before we knew Jesus Christ as our savior. Now, the second word is reconciliation. Paul moves on to talk about reconciliation, what God did for the Gentiles in verses 13 through 18. Like what he says right away in verse 13. But now I love that. Remember two, four. Where he says, but God, God intervened. God took the initiative. God acted on our behalf. He says there, the far off ones have been brought near. I love that too. They couldn't bring themselves near. They had to be brought near. God did that through Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a Jew now to come near to God. You can be a Gentile and draw near to him. I feel like most people who are outside of Christ don't realize how far they really are away from God. They may think they're close. And I suppose there are degrees of closeness. Let's imagine in our mind a situation where someone is really hurting. They're, they're troubled. Uh, they feel a lack inside of them. They have no peace. They want more. They think there must be something more to life than what I'm experiencing. I want to know if there's a really, truly a God. So they're presented with a Bible and maybe they open it from time to time and read something in it. Or they pray occasionally, especially when they're in trouble. Or maybe someone invites them to church and they go to church. They're moving in the right direction. It actually says, Jesus said this in Mark twelve thirty four. When Jesus saw that, he answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Not far from the kingdom. There are people that are moving closer to God and a relationship with him. And sadly, people that are moving farther and farther away. So the Jewish people thought we're near to God, not like those horrible Gentiles. Religious people always assume they're good. I'm a good person. I'm okay. You're okay. Far away people need God. Ones that think they're near to God need him too. Don't think because you're not a horrible sinner that you're okay. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think the harder to reach ones are the religious folks. If you live in darkness, any light at all would stand out to you. But if you live near the light, you don't notice the light. We all need Jesus. Paul mentions reconciliation here in this section. That word means to bring people together again. People who were at odds with one another are brought back together in relationship. It could be a husband and a wife. It could be God and a human being. Another way to say it would be there's peace in that relationship. And Paul uses the word peace three times in three slightly different ways here in this section. The first way he says, Jesus is our peace. Verse 14, he's the source 
of peace. And there are a lot of ideas out there on what would bring peace to a situation. Just put more money, throw more money at it, uh, more education, or we just need to expand our military and then we'll have peace. But none of those ultimately work. There can never be true, lasting peace without Jesus because he is peace. He's the prince of peace. Peace is a person. Any peace plan without Christ won't last. And this kind of peace starts in the heart. Christ comes into your heart and begins to change you from the inside out and and gives you an inner peace that you never had before. Secondly, in letter B, Jesus made peace. Verse 15, he created peace. How did he do it and where did he do it? He did it on the cross with his blood. He made the two into one. Now we're one. Jews and Gentiles together in one church. The Bible says that one day all of Israel will be saved at the end of the age. Some are now, but Romans 11:26 says, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. Two Greek words for new in the New Testament. The first one is picture a car rolls off the assembly line. It's a new car, but there are hundreds of others out there just like it. The other word for new is it never existed before. It's the prototype car. And so that's the word new here. Paul is saying something never existed before now exists because of what Jesus did on the cross. The church comprised of Jews and Gentiles now exists. And Christ created the church from his body by his death on the cross. Like God created Eve from Adam's body. He formed the church To bring peace and reconciliation to the world. And Satan knows that. That's why he relentlessly attacks the church. He hinders the mission of the church. He tries to distract us all the time. So we aren't about our mission of bringing reconciliation to the world. And that's God's plan A. The church. To bring the message of peace to the world. Now, if you notice in verse 14, the phrase, the dividing wall of hostility, separating Jews and Gentiles, there was a barrier between the two, a dividing wall. This is probably a reference to the temple in Jerusalem because Paul talks about ordinances and laws. The temple in Jerusalem is where God's literal presence on earth dwelt at one time, the only place. If you wanted to find God, you had to go to Jerusalem. And to this temple. And once you arrive there, let's say you were a Gentile, you could go into the temple grounds because the temple, this magnificent structure, had courtyards around it and a kind of circumference around it, various courtyards. The outermost courtyard was the courtyard of the Gentiles. You as a Gentile could go to Jerusalem and you could go and worship in that courtyard area, but you could go in no further. The next courtyard in was the courtyard of Jewish women. So Jewish women could go and pass through the courtyard of the Gentiles to that courtyard and worship there. Then the next inmost one was the courtyard of Jewish men. Then the courtyard of priests. And only the high priest of Israel could go into the inner places of the temple. 
But there was a sign on the wall between the courtyard of the Gentiles and the courtyard of Jewish women. And here's what the sign said with this warning. No foreigner may enter these walls. Anyone doing so will only have himself to blame for his ensuing death. That's pretty scary. Imagine going to a church. You're wanting to find God. And right outside the door is that sign. You wouldn't feel like, well, I better not go in there. And this was taken seriously. Paul was thought to have brought some Gentiles past the courtyard of the Gentiles in Acts 21. Let me read that. Crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place being the temple. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort, a Roman official, that all Jerusalem was in confusion. You see, they were ready to kill Paul for doing this. So this was very serious. There was this dividing wall that separated Jews and Gentiles. But Jesus, Paul says, broke down that wall like the Berlin Wall that came down in 1989 and Germany was unified again. Jesus has done that. Also within the temple was a great curtain that separated the holy place and the most holy place. It kept God separated from human beings. But at Christ's death on the cross, God tore that temple in two. Tells us that in Matthew 27, 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. Think about that for a moment. This curtain was 20 foot tall and two inches thick. So you weren't just going to go like this and tear it. God did from the top to the bottom. He tore what separated people. God said, what used to separate you from me is now torn into by the cross. You can come to me. We can have fellowship with God now by what Jesus has done. Christ made peace by his cross. And the C there in your outline is Jesus preached peace. Says that in verse 17. He told the people the good news. You can have access to God through me. And in verse 18 is the good news. We both have access in one spirit to the Father. There's the Trinity in one verse. You've got Him, you've got Spirit, and you've got Father in one verse. Beautiful verse 18. We have an audience with God now. I like the story of a man who was seeking advice and help from President Lincoln. His brother was about to be executed wrongly. He was innocent. But the guards would not let this man in to see the president. And so he went outside the White House and sat on a bench right outside on the street across from the White House and was crying. And a young boy came and sat beside him on the bench. 
And he asked the man why he was crying. And so the man told the story to the boy about his brother being innocent, about to be executed, and how he tried to see President Lincoln, but he wasn't granted access. And the boy said, come on with me. And he took the man into the White House and he had counsel with President Lincoln. The boy was Lincoln's son. He got the man access to his father, the president. So God's son has given us access to the father God by his death on the cross. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that word access is prosagogy. That was actually a person's title. The prosagogy was the person who gave access to someone to see the king or not. That person is Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, because Jesus was a human being, 100% human, yet without sin, 100% God. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So he preached access to the Father, so must we. Tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. To God, no one else is going to tell this message, but we Christians. Sadly, many Christians go their entire lives without telling another person about Jesus. It's just disobedience. We're supposed to be the peacemakers. And so we have that ministry of reconciliation to tell others about Jesus, what he's done for me. The third word is unification. What Jews and Gentiles are in Christ. And that covers verses 19 through 22. Paul says there, God has made all believers in Christ one. And he uses three lovely word pictures there. The first is we're fellow citizens. Most of us, I would say, in this room are citizens of the United States of America and citizens of the Commonwealth of Virginia and citizens of Hanover County or the surrounding counties, as they may be. But there's something more and greater that we're a part of. We're citizens of heaven. Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven is our true home. We're just passing through this place, just as Penny has now gone on to her reward where her citizenship really is. Hebrews 11:10 says, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. 
People may ask you, hey, are you settled in yet? And we are, but we aren't. So we can't get too settled because this isn't our home. And so God created the church to meet our need for security. The B is second illustration is God's household. Also in verse 19, we're not only citizens, fellow citizens together, but we're family. If you looked around this room this morning, these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. You actually may feel closer to them than even your own blood relatives. And just think, we are going to be together with each other for all eternity. So God has provided the church to meet our relational needs. So I encourage you this morning, get plugged into a group, a Sunday school class, a life group. Uh, the women of the vine, the men's group, the launch for young adults, the youth group. And the C is God's building, verses 20 to 22. This speaks of our eternal purpose. The church meets our need for significance. We're all part of God's building the church. Apostles and prophets are the foundation and Christ himself, the chief cornerstone, being the most important stone in the building. Do you know the cornerstone of the temple in Jerusalem weighed 570 tons? It was the most important stone. And we are stones in that building that God is building. So don't think of yourself that I need to be the prettiest stone of all the other stones and unique. Just me. No, we're just one of the bricks with every other brick connected together to make up the beautiful temple of God that he's creating right now, his church. And God puts us in churches in the place where he wants us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. What we see from this passage for Gentiles who were once lost and separated from God, God had a plan to bring us together because God has always wanted to have fellowship with human beings, with Adam as he walked with him in the cool of the day. And Enoch, it says, walked with God, and then God took him. And then God said, I want to be with my people, so make me a tabernacle where I can dwell with you. And they did. It was a portable tent, and they moved it around as they traveled. But then they built a temple for God, and his literal presence dwelled in that temple. Then it says that God tabernacled through his son, Jesus. God, the Logos, became flesh and dwelled or tabernacled among us. And God himself walked among us as a human being. And now he says, I want to indwell you as my temple. It's exciting. And then someday in heaven, we'll see him face to face when we go to our true home. Lord, thank you so much for Jesus and what he's done on the cross and for inspiring the writer Paul to write these spiritual realities for us. And help us to realize them, to um, make a withdrawal from our heavenly bank account, as it were. When we feel far from God, that we are close, we're one in him with Christ. I pray that everyone will grow deeper in their love for you and knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's stand and close with a song.